Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glixman alongside my tag team partner, Matt Story. And both of us are better rested and more prepared for this. Uh, as Bill Murray said in Stripes, you know, we should wait until the platoon is better rested. Matt and I should have waited to record la- the uh, recap until the two of us were better rested. Yeah, yeah, we tried to fit that one in and we didn't have our A games. So my apologies for the uh, incorrect touchdown assessment. It was Frank Darby who had the touch on. Not Ryan and Jenkins. Frank Darby, if you're listening, sorry. Um, and, and yeah, uh, you know, one of those days when, you know, we're, we're back and we got, we got our good stuff today, I think. Frank Darby, if you're listening, tell us. If you want to come on, definitely tell us. Um, exactly, yeah, let us know. So the ASU uh, team returns home this week at 1-2 and two to take on the newly ranked number 24 Oregon Ducks. The Ducks offense has been uh, back up to their old tricks, but the story this season is probably the defense under Willie Taggart. Through three games, Oregon's averaging over 600 yards of total offense. Not a lot new there, but they're holding opponents to only 303 yards. And that's not against a soft schedule. After beating Southern Utah in the first game, they beat Nebraska, and then they blew out Wyoming last week, holding mm-hmm. potential one-time top pick consider consideree, Josh Allen, to 9 of 24 and an interception. On, yeah, I yeah mean, it was an ug night for Josh Allen. I, I went back and watched some of the game the next day, and I knew he had had a bad game. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a ride, and, and – uh, you know, I don't think Wyoming is very good around him, but yeah, Oregon's been impressive this year. I mean, uh, I, we talked a little bit last week, uh, you know, and I said, I, you know, at the beginning of the year, I felt like this was a very gettable game. I looked at the season in kind of segments of four games, and now it feels different. It feels like this game belongs with the next four as being a pretty good opponent that is going to be hard to beat. Well, Oregon this year offensively, Sophomore quarterback Justin Herbert, 897 yards passing through three games. And Royce Freeman, coming back from an injury-plagued, sort of unimpressive junior year, has already rushed for 460 yards and nine touchdowns. Yeah, that's the country, I think, in that category, yeah. That's going to be a problem for the Sun Devils. Yeah, it is, yeah. I mean, they're explosive offensively. They can do both, it seems. Um, Throw it and run it. You know, Herbert is a, a guy who... Uh, is getting you know getting some NFL talk for down the road. He's only a true sophomore, so he wouldn't be eligible this year. But uh, I already was reading some stuff last week about you know boy was was the better NFL prospect uh, you know Justin Herbert than Josh Allen. People really like what he could do. Big kid got some you know athleticism to him. He could arm. I mean he you know checks a lot of the boxes um, that you'd look for in an NFL prospect and. Certainly, they run the ball. It's not just Freeman. Um, I mean, they have a, a kid, uh, Ben Law, who I think is a local kid, who's pretty good. Um, you know, they've they've got some uh, they got some weapons there. They're not maybe as deep as they've been in their glory days, but they certainly have some good top players that uh, you know will will put up some yards and points. And the question is just how many. Well, ASU is going to have its hands full, as you mentioned just now. Oregon's got maybe not as much depth, but. ASU's defense continues to show a lack of depth, and Karan Crump is officially out, which is not great news. Matt, we, we've talked about before quite often that Todd Graham puts about as positive a spin on injuries as you can get away with, um, uh-huh. and he said immediately that Crump was going to be out this week. He said now that he's out indefinitely. If Karan Crump plays again for the Sun Devils, I'll be stunned. 
It will be a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, you know, we don't know for sure. Well, <laughs> we don't know for sure. You know, the word is he's, you know, still being evaluated, which I find laughable. Um, you know, it's been now close to 72 hours since he got hurt. They know what his injury is. I'm pretty sure. And, and, uh, you know, it's just the typical ASU Todd Graham, uh, we've got to play everything and hide it and act like it's not real. And it starts to get tiring. And, and so many coaches do it. It's not just him. Um, I get exasperated with the lying and the paranoia that football coaches have. So, yeah, I, my assumption, as soon as I saw, you know, what he looked like on the sideline Saturday night, I thought he was probably done for the year. And I'm going to continue assuming that until I see otherwise. I mean, it's not great that by the end of the game, the devil backer spot was being played by Abraham Thompson, who is not, right. it turns out, a Civil War general, but is the backup <laughs> linebacker for ASU. Yeah, a former walk-on who just got a scholarship. And, and uh, you know, that's something that we've heard several times uh, about starters or key players on defense. And, you know, they make for nice little stories. Um, but uh, the more I hear that, the more I, I wonder... Why are we, you know, why is our second line or in some ways first line former walk-ons or, you know, where is the depth that, that we were supposed to have recruited the last two to three years? And, and I think, you know, getting into big picture here as, as we look at, and, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago we talked about how it, Todd Graham's tenure, you know, you can kind of compare it to Herb Sendak. And the biggest downfall for Herb Sendak was recruiting failures. And you might be able, they're not as notable with Todd Graham, but you might be able to say the same thing about why this program has slipped. The recruiting has dropped off and the depth isn't there and the top line talent isn't there. And, and that's, you know, that's why we struggle to beat good teams and even average teams. I mean, it's just straight up misses. And then trying to plug holes with junior college players and uh, right. and grad transfers and just regular transfers is, now, pretty standard fare, but you have to hit on those guys. and You do. You do. And, and that's one of the things. I mean, look at it. There's, there's a misconception out there right now, and I've read it. You know, of course, you read it on Twitter, and that's not a good place to pick up people's perceptions. But, you know, well, Graham hasn't done anything since Erickson's recruits left. Well, that's a bit of a misconception because the teams that were pretty good, a lot of those guys were Grinch guys, a lot of Juco kids. You know, uh, look, at the, look at the best players from 2012, 13, 14, a lot of them were guys he brought in. They just happened to be junior college kids, so they didn't stay for four years. But Marion Grice, Marcus Hardison, Marius Randall, Jalen Strong. I mean, these guys were not recruited by Dennis Erickson, so that's a falsehood. But the, the um, you know, he hasn't been able to keep it going. And again, it's like Herb. Herb came in, you know, yeah, James Harden was the headline maker, but there were other good ones, Derek Glasser and, Ty Abbott and, and you know, Kusicks and, and guys Schiff. who were nice pieces. Jaron Shipp, his first couple of years, Eric Botang. And then he wasn't able to continue that enough. And, you know, it just feels like Graham has kind of slipped into the same thing that, you know, you have to keep building on it and, and the quality has dropped and the depth has dropped. And that's inexcusable to me. I mean, there's no... There's no good excuse for not having good depth when you're in year six in your in your program. You, you know, it's just that's on you and your coaches, and you know that's the situation we seem to be in right now. Well, the depth dropping um, it was something that the Sun Devil Source Report podcast was talking about with uh, 
Carrie or uh, is it Carrie Crowley? Is he the guy? He I believe so. Yeah. He, yeah. He was talking about it, and one of the points he made is he asked Phil Bennett, you know, are you going to go the nickel package, or why did you not go the nickel package? Why did you leave Christian Salmon in different mm-hmm. situations? And he said, well, we want our best eleven guys out there, but it appears that that is now, regardless of situation, ASU's position is we're going to play our base defense. We're not going to substitute nickel. And we have a horrible start to the year on giving up third and 15 plus. Third downs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, third downs in general, I think I read, read and heard that we are last in the country in third down defense. You would think that maybe, call me crazy, I've never been in a college football coach or high school coach or an NFL coach, obviously, but don't you think that if, you keep screwing up on third downs with your base defense that and teams are getting it on the pass. You might want yeah. to have another pass defender on the field. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's been, you know, as you said, and, and Haller made this point on his podcast that, you know, it hasn't just been third and three, third and fours. I mean, we, we, you know, yeah, you're going to give some of those up, but it's in, you know, third and 23, third and 15, third and eight, uh, you know, I mean, the, the pivotal play, one of the most pivotal plays in the game last week was, you know, Texas Tech gets the ball back with the game tied, third and eight from their own, uh, you know, I think their own territory. I don't remember the exact yard line. And they get it. And then, you know, they never face a third down the rest of the way. That's a chance to get off the field and give your offense the ball back to take the lead. So, you know, it, it comes down, I mean, you, you know, and it's funny that we're talking about this on Oregon week because I remember years past we talked about facing Oregon and that the key was when you get them in third downs, you got to get them off the field. They're going to, you know, when they were at their best with Mariota, Dennis Dixon, you know, they're, they're going to score. Uh, they're going to get points and yards. But when you had a chance to get them off the field, you have to do it. This team has struggled with that all three games, and now you start facing better teams that will punish you even more, I think. Yeah, I mean, that is the fear, um, the lack of flexibility defensively the lack of willingness I mean one of the things that I was listening to they were talking about how DJ Calhoun is perpetually working on his pass coverage his his ability to drop into coverage and find his place in the zone or or find his man and that is great and it's good that he's trying to focus on something that is admittedly not the strong part of his game he's definitely a better run stopper but don't you think on third and long that maybe our best use of DJ Calhoun is if he's not going to be blitzing to have him be on the sidelines for another guy yeah, for a DB? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's it's almost you know it's strange because you'd think by playing you know this base D that we might be giving up more big plus explosive explosive plays, and that is one thing we have done less of. Uh, you know, I read it yesterday in the paper. You know, we've only allowed three plays of 40-plus yards this year. And the last two years, we'd, we'd allowed 63 total in, you know, 25 games. So you do the math, that's that's over – that's about two and a half per game. Um, this year on an average of one per game, which you can live with. So we've done better at that, but we haven't – you know, I mean, the theory is make a team put together a drive. Well, so far this year, our opponents have done that. We haven't, we haven't penalized them – We've had opportunities. Yeah, I mean, step one. Yeah, step one is to don't allow big plays and force long drives. Right. But step two 
is you have to then get teams off the field more frequently than you. Mistake. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if they're gonna if they're gonna end up in third and long because of a penalty, because of a sack, you have to get them off. You have to force a field goal, and and we haven't done that. I mean, the San Diego State game is an example. You know, down by what was it, six points. So the game is still very much within our reach. They're in field goal range, but long field goal range. Third and you know what was it, twenty three, and we give up a you know a touchdown. I mean that's a that's a killer play in a game where it was tough to score. You got to at least hold to a field goal attempt, you know. And, and there was there was a great example. Third and twenty three, and we're out there with our base defense, and Christian Sam makes the wrong read, and Rashad Penny escapes with with nobody around, and you know then beats Todd Latasi. And you know if a DB's in there, is that a different story? I don't know, but I would have liked to have seen a different outcome on that play because. That was pretty much the game decider at that point. Well, and speaking of Tata Latasi, he has apparently lost his starting spot to Demonte King. Yeah. Which, King looked okay against Texas Tech. Um, yeah. Apparently, he had yeah. been dealing with injuries the first two games, so getting him back is good. Right. Um, yeah, and, and Bennett was high on him all preseason, it sounded like. that As soon as he was healthy, they were going to play him, and that, that is one thing that the coaching staff said and have, apparently is true. Uh, there's a lot of things that aren't, but yeah, it sounds like, you know, now that he's healthy, he's going to be the guy back there. One thing that I was surprised by, and I didn't notice it in the flow of the game, but, you know, reading the recaps and hearing things, at some point they benched Joey Bryant for Chase Lucas in the second half. And I find it strange. I also, you know, obviously it would be interesting to see all three Lucas, Bryant, and Kobe Williams on the field at the same time. Yeah. But... Texas Tech, much like what we dealt with uh, in the opening game and in the San Diego State game, they have big receivers, and they were taking advantage of that going against Williams, who's only 5'9". Yeah. But we left Williams out there and instead put Bryant on the bench. Now, look, it it worked. The defense in the second half got some stops, but... It did. I'd I'd be curious to see all three. It would be, yeah, and and that goes back to the point made that you know, in order to, to see all three at once, you have to be willing to do some substitutions in different packages. And right now, it just doesn't seem like that is a big part of this defense or any part. I um, mean, it certainly you know, we, seems like the back six, the yeah. you know, the two li- true linebackers and the yeah. and the four defensive backs. That's it. Those are the guys. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. there's a little bit yeah. of more rotation, probably forced by the crump injury on the front four. Right. But Right. Uh, yeah, and I think you'll see, you know, some of that continue because he's out, you know, and, you know, mixing and matching. But, uh, yeah, it just it just appears that these, you know, the, the strategy this year is these are our best 11 and we're going to go with that. And, you know, I mean, uh, uh, there's there's meant to that, but I just think, you know, you have to be a little bit more flexible, I would think. Um, and, and I really do think this is you – know, you know, yeah, we're coming out of the hottest time of year, um, you know, so so the heat shouldn't be as big of an issue. But you're going into a stretch against some really good teams, and some of those teams like to like to go fast. This one this week is another one. Um, you know, USC will will move, Washington will move, um, and and you're trying to play just eleven guys or twelve guys on defense for the entire game. I just think it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. 
Well, before we get into our predictions, we should flip over and talk about the offense a little bit. Manny Wilkins has tied Rudy Carpenter's ASU record for consecutive passes thrown without an interception. So, barring his first pass being picked off, he will set the new record against Oregon. Do you think that we should just clock the ball for his first pass so that it's a guaranteed <laughs> no pick? Oh, sure. Why not? Uh, you know... I've, I've, uh, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks and, and maybe it's something that, you know, as the year goes along or, as, you know, I feel a little bit like, like I'm seeing football a little different and I'm not as alarmed by interceptions now. I mean, it all, de- there's a fine line and it all depends on the situation and how the, you know, obviously you don't want a quarterback throwing a ton of interceptions, but I feel like we talked about this last week. I feel like, you know, Having no interceptions is sometimes not a good thing because it means you've got an offense that isn't taking chances, a quarterback that isn't taking chances, and I don't think that's good. Now, this past week wasn't the case. He played well. I thought he did, um, and and you know he led us to four straight touchdowns there in the second half. But um, yeah, I mean, there's times where an interception comes about because you're aggressive, and that's okay with me. Uh, you know, I I don't mind seeing that. So. I'm not so sure this is a great thing. It's okay. I mean, you know, it's not a bad thing, but, but uh, you know, Howler keeps making the point, but they're asking him to manage the game. That's all well and good if you've got the team around him that he could just manage the game, but we don't. So this approach doesn't really work for me. Well, so let me walk you through this. If, my, if what I'm remembering is correct, he set the record – with the 05 and 06 seasons. Right. And it was split across so. the two. Well, the 05 Sun Devils went 7-5 and five under Dirk Cutter and beat Rutgers yeah. in the Insight Bowl. And then the yeah. 2006 Sun Devils went 7-6 and six under Dirk Cutter. And, uh, a very poor season. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know what? Uh, the, the guy after that, you know, who had Rudy, he threw picks under, but the team won more. And then right. when Todd Graham had... A quarterback who was throwing more aggressively in Taylor Kelly, mm-hmm. the team won more. Now Burko is sort of on an island because we talked about how his reputation right. was a gunslinger, but he really wasn't. Um, right, he wasn't. Was, he wasn't in this offense, you know. But would he have been? I mean, I don't know. Um, and you're right that we did win with Taylor Kelly, who wasn't always, the, you know. But we had a better team. I mean, we just did, you know those. Those names we were just mentioning about five or ten minutes ago, those guys aren't on this team. There's no Marion Grice. There's no DJ Foster. Uh, there's Bill Sutton and Carl Bradford and Demarius Randall. And, uh, you know, we had better talent around him. Jalen Strong. We don't have that good a talent, it doesn't appear. And, and so going with game manager approach to your quarterback, I, I don't know. I just don't think it works. Now, is there a downside to letting your quarterback go out there and fling it around? Sure. You know, it can end in disaster, but I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I'm less and less sold that, you know, having that zero in the interception column means you're playing good court. It doesn't. I mean, it's great, but it, but there's more to it than just the number in that column. I, I mean, I agree. I think that we've gotten a little obsessive about protecting the ball. And, and obviously, yes. you know, we're beating a dead horse with this. You don't want a guy who always puts the ball in jeopardy. No, but no, you know, I mean, the, the thing that people loved about Brett Favre now, look, there's not a, a quarterback mm-hmm. on this roster who's Brett Favre, 
But the sure. thing people loved about him was he believed enough in his arm that he was going to throw it in the tight window. And you know what? Right. Two right. or three times a game, that ball was going to hit the defensive back. But yes, he, yes. There would also yeah, be I mean, two or three times a game where he'd throw it through a window that you didn't think existed, and it would go for a big play. And or it would touchdown. make a play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I keep going back to Sam Darnold, and I know that's probably not the fairest comparison here because he's a great quarterback. But I've watched a lot of USC the last two weeks, and in both of those games, he's thrown two interceptions. And so, you know, of course, you you know, well, he's got this many interceptions. Well, watch the plays. Watch the throws. I mean, one of those that he threw this past week, the guy just dropped the ball, and it ends up in the defender's hand. So that factors in, too. But also, watch the throws he's making. There was a touchdown against Stanford that you've got to be fearless to throw that ball. You can't be thinking, oh, I hope I don't get an interception here. You won't throw that ball. But that fearlessness allowed him to make that play. So, uh, you know, and I, I look at Deshaun Watson last year. You know, that was the knock. Oh, he's got 17 interceptions. That just means he's trying to make plays. And when it came down to it, he made a lot of plays, and they won the national championship. So let's go prediction time here, Matt. Um, okay. I am pessimistic. I, yeah. I think that Oregon has owned us um, and, yes, will, and will continue to do so, especially at Sun Devil Stadium. I've got us losing 45-31. to 31. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the uh, the history of Oregon, uh, I mean, I've said this the last couple of years we've talked, and it's unfortunately it's still true. The last time we beat Oregon was our freshman year of college. I believe a game that we watched part of in the student union because the power went out in our dorm uh, the week before SC came to play here. So it's been a long, long, long time. Or no, that wasn't SC, that was another year. Um it's been a long time, you know, that, that goes without saying. And certainly Sun Devil Stadium has even worse than playing at Austin. Some of the m- most, you know, embarrassing blowouts we had were 2006-2008 to Oregon here. I don't think it'll be that bad. Um, you know, those teams weren't as good and Oregon was better. But I think they'll win. Uh, I'm going to go 49-28. Uh, to 28. Yeah, uh, so we're similar we have a similar yeah we are view. yeah i mean i just they they uh i think can score a lot of points and i you know i need to see our offense play the way it played in the second half against a better defense and i you know i don't think oregon's defense is going to be confused with you know a dominant group but it's better. and and then texas tech i believe so we'll see you know if this offense can can keep up then it changes the feeling about maybe how the rest of the season goes and maybe use this game if you're going to – I mean, I said this Sunday. We need to steal a couple of these next five. This, even though Oregon looks good, is probably the most stealable of the five. So, you know, maybe you can pull this one out. We'll see. Before we jump over and talk a little NFL, uh, a couple other games of note this weekend. USC goes on the road to Cal after that physical Texas game. It'll be interesting yeah. to see um, – a, a real test for Wilcox's defense going against the Trojans and getting them at home. Boy, yeah, Cal's been better than than you would have expected so far. I mean, the, you know, the Rowan at North Carolina beating Ole Miss. Um, not sure how good either one of those teams is overall. But still, you know, an impressive start for a team that you and I both thought was the worst team in the conference coming into the year. Uh, they don't look that way. You know, they've dominated the second halves of, of all three games. Could be a tough test. I mean, USC's got a couple tough ones these next two weeks. This one and then 
at Washington State next Friday night. Um, you know, if they're going to drop a game and be able to come back from it, it's probably one of these two. You know, you lose early, it's easier to come back from it. You, you know, you lose out of the division, you still have a chance to obviously get to the Pac-12 title game. So wouldn't shock me at all if they drop one of these. Uh, probably Washington State more likely, but this could be tough for them. Yeah. Um, Penn State and Iowa, the Hawkeyes are undefeated, although they have worked really hard to yeah. get there. I, I feel like this is one of those games It's in prime time because they're both undefeated, so the storyline is good. Right. But I'm not sure that the game itself will be that great. No, I think Penn State right now, uh, I mean, they haven't really played anybody good yet, but they certainly look like the best team in the Big Ten with Ohio State's offense continuing to struggle. Michigan's offense is has been in a struggle. Um, I mean, Penn State appears to be the team to beat. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to win it, but uh, they're pretty good through three weeks. Then we've got a pair of top 25 matchups. First, uh, Battle of the Bulldogs, Georgia hosting Mississippi State in the SEC. You know, it, good, it's, good game. it's a fun really good SEC game. Saturday. Yes, it is. Yeah, that's going to be a fun game. Mississippi State, I think, sent a, a message uh, with their beatdown of LSU last weekend that, you know, they should be taken seriously. Nick Fitzgerald, really good quarterback. Uh, they got a good defense. Uh, you know, this and, and Georgia has been impressive so far this year, too, with the win at Notre Dame. I mean, the, you know, the winner of that game, I think, at least early on, emerges as probably the team you think is maybe the biggest threat to Alabama. Um, you know, are they really a legitimate threat? I don't know. But, you know, to be 4-0, uh, you know, and, and you know, have a, a doable road ahead. Georgia doesn't play Alabama in the regular season. Mississippi State gets them at home. So, you know, they, they would both be teams that you say would have a chance to, to dethrone Alabama if anybody going to. And then the last one is TCU going to Oklahoma State where, you know, the Cowboys every year seem to get a little push at this time of year where they make their yeah. run. Um, and obviously yeah. Rudolph's getting some serious buzz right now. Um, yes, he is. Yeah, he's been uh... – very impressive. Boy, the game he put up against Pitt was was impressive. I mean, five touchdowns and almost 500 yards in like two and a half quarters, I think. Uh, so, yeah, they're they're really good. And, 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 you know, it all points right now to that, I believe it's the first weekend in November. They host Oklahoma. Uh, you know, a couple tough games for each team, but right now it seems like that's going to be the matchup that determined the, the regular season champ of the Big 12, and they may end up meeting again in the Big 12 championship game. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a fun weekend of college football. Hope you guys enjoy it. But we are going to pivot. We're going to talk about the NFL. I have no fake ads. I have no Pat Richardson update. I'm feeling very let down by our loyal listeners, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm not mad at you. I appreciate that you made it this far. But if you have things that you want us to talk about, just send it to us. We filled this content with just our best guess on what you want to hear and ASU. Right. We don't. We know that right. we don't really want to hear ASU, but that's what we talked about. Um, That's what we do. It's our calling card. Uh, so, Matt, the NFL, I think the, the first storyline is there are now two teams back in L.A. and no one in L.A. cares. Well, yeah, I mean, now I, I did, I will say, I turned on the Charger game and for all the rap about how nobody's going to go to that game, um, you know, it looked pretty crowded. Now, they only hold 27,000, so... You know, yeah, I think the attendance was 25 or 26. Well, you know, that's about that's over 90 percent attendance. So, uh, you know, will that will that drop off? Uh, probably so. 
Um, selfishly, I'm hoping it drops off by a couple weeks. I'm going to see the Eagles there, and I'm hoping to get a ticket for moderately cheaper than what I've seen before. Um, so I'm hoping that interest will continue to drop for my own, you know, selfish interest. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's it's what we expected. We knew this. I mean, there's a reason that the NFL went 20 years without being there and nobody really felt like it was disastrous because there's not that much of a thirst. But, you know, the NFL wants to be in L.A. And so here it is. The uh, the Trojans. Longhorns game outdrew the combined yes, Rams and Chargers games. So. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you know, that was. You also have to factor in that was the first sellout for USC in years, and and USC is USC. I mean, so you know, it's LA. They they don't pack the house on a regular basis for sports, especially you know sixty, seventy, eighty thousand. They just don't. Um, you know, we we knew that before. This is no surprise to me. Yeah, I mean, it's not surprising. I just think it's interesting. It's notable. It is. Oh, it is. It is, sure. You know, and, and, and you know, I think, I think you'll see a bump in probably three years when they go to the new stadium. That'll be, a, you know, the place to be for a short amount of time. And then unless the teams are good, and I mean really good, you know, it, it's not going to be um, that big of a deal there. I mean, you know, if, if, if the Rams and the Chargers continue to, you know, Float around uh, six, seven, eight wins. That's not going to be enough to to keep that city interested. Yeah, that's for sure true. So uh, we'll see. You know, they need star power and they need to win a lot. One storyline uh, that's been getting some notice is uh, you know this trend of young quarterbacks playing. You know, last year immediately yeah. you had Wentz and Goff. This year you've got Kaiser Watson, um, and then the third quarterback taking uh in the first round who has been not lost in all of this but pat mahomes the reports are that they're gonna trade alex smith or cut him this offseason and just hand mahomes the job which is a weird thing to have come out during week two when they're when they're you know they're two and oh and they look like one of the best teams in the nfl so i mean you know i i think you had to kind of assume that that was the idea you know they didn't trade up and, and trade a first round pick next year for Pat Mahomes to just sit on the bench forever. Um, but you know what? Here's the thing: if Alex Smith plays really well and they go and win a Super Bowl, that will change. I mean, I you know it, it's the plan right now. I'm sure it is to you know the Mahomes sits this year and he takes over. But you know Alex Smith will have a chance without much margin for error to you know keep his job there if he if he plays really well and they you know there's no way. If you win a Super Bowl or maybe you get there, um, that, you know, make that change. You put it off for another year, very much like what, you know, San Diego did with Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers. I mean, I, I agree that there's a way to do it. I guess my thing is I'm more surprised that you would let this story get out of your front office. Yeah. And just create yeah. an unnecessary yeah. distraction. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's a bit of, you know, it's a surprise, obviously, that it comes out. And yet, like I would say... I don't find it to be a surprise because I think, you know, as soon as, as soon as he was drafted, you you know, the writing was on the wall that they were headed this way. I mean, I agree. And it's not like there was a huge shakeup and at least nationally big stories about Alex Smith doesn't want to talk about this and blah, blah, blah. But I'm sure that at least the local media started asking questions about, Hey, ESPN's reporting this. Hey, Fox Sports is saying this. And it's got to just, it, you know, if he's going to have to deal with that all season, it's going to wear on you. And 
I imagine yeah, at some point yeah. they'll just shut it down and, you know, stop calling on reporters who are Probably, asking. Probably. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it's I think it's just, uh, you know, kind of the nature of the beast. And unfortunately, it's kind of what being Alex Smith is. I mean, he, you know, he got replaced in San Francisco by the new hot young thing five years ago, and, and he's probably going to be replaced here by the same type of player. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you could say, man, he's, he's a bit underappreciated probably, um, you know, because of what he's done, but that's how it is. And, and the fact is, you know, they have, uh, not gotten the job done in a, in a major way. Uh, they won one playoff game, I think so far with Alex Smith that's not enough, you know, so he's going to have to do it uh, all season and in the playoffs in order to, you know, prove that he should push Pat Mahomes to the bench for another year. And if not, they're going to go to Pat Mahomes because they made the big investment in him. The last storyline in the NFL I want to talk about is there are a couple serious injuries for tight ends. Obviously uh, the bigger one is Greg Olson's going to miss up to two months uh, with a broken yeah. bone in his foot. And Gronkowski suffered a groin strain, which he immediately said was no big deal. But, but he's always hurt. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, you you almost expect him to get hurt because he almost always is. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the Olsen one is tough for a team that you know, even though they're two and zero, has not looked crisp offensively anyway. Um, of course, that's been a league wide thing. Uh, some of the some of the football so far has just been terrible, really. Uh, I mean, I, I think the quality of play in the NFL for two weeks has been really poor. And hopefully it will get better because it's been rough so far. Um, and Carolina, you know, again, 2-0, and but they haven't been artistic in getting there. Do you think that the lower quality of play is really relatable or uh, correlated, I should say, yeah. to the lack of emphasis now in preseason games or do you think that those are just two different i absolutely do every year i think it's the one thing you can point to and say is changing every year the preseason gets more and more devalued and you know it used to be i mean when we were kids yeah the preseason you know wasn't taken that serious but the starters ate a little in the first game decent amount in the second game most of the third game and even some in the fourth now, most good teams don't play their starters at all in the fourth or the first preseason game. I mean, I went and saw the this year in the first preseason game. Most of their, you know, big-name guys came out of the locker room in, you know, jersey, no pads, or, you know, hats and T-shirts. They weren't playing. Nobody plays the fourth preseason game. So I do. I think it does. I mean, yeah, I really do think that is related because there's such a lack of rhythm. Teams don't establish rhythm now in August. They do it the first two or three weeks of the season. So we're seeing the ugly side of it right now rather than in August. Do you think that there's a chance that the league, I mean, I think there's definitely a likelihood the league will use this as leverage to try to keep the preseason in existence as it is. But do you think that teams will start to trend the way that the Patriots have and some other teams have? where they're hosting joint practices for the week leading up to the game so that you actually are I do. seeing guys in other jerseys? Yeah, I do. I, I do, and I think it's good. Um, you know, I think it, it, you know, just from a team standpoint, probably it, it, you know, just changes up the feel of monotony of training camp. You see somebody else, you know, you spend a couple, you know, two, three days practicing with another team, so it kind of breaks up the routine. Um 
And I think, you know, maybe we'll see that in lieu of preseason games. I think that's a possibility. You know, if we have to see a reduction in the preseason, that you start seeing scrimmages between teams that aren't really games, but, you know, at least you get out there and, you, you know, you run, you know, 30 plays each or something like that just to get a little, you know. But, yeah, I do. I think that's the biggest thing. I know people point to, you know, well, now there's this emphasis on practice time and OTAs, but that's been in place now for seven years. I mean, this, this is seven years since the lockout ended and we've had these rules. And this is ugly this year. It's the ugliest I can remember it. In, in all these years that the first two weeks have just been boring. I've watched a lot of football and there have not been very many good games. Yeah, I mean, there have been tight games, but not well played exactly. games. Yeah, there have been close games, but most of them are games that neither team scores more than 20 points. I mean, the, the Bills and the Panthers this week, yeah, well, it came down to the end. It was 9-3. to three. Uh, You know, and I, look, I'm not saying you got to have, you know, 45-42 to 42 to be entertaining, but you like to see a little bit of offense and and it's weird because, you know, two, three years ago we were talking about, boy, offense just taking over the game. Every game is like arena ball. Nobody can play any defense. And, and so far this year, boy, I mean, how many teams have scored two or less touchdowns in two weeks? Seahawks have one. Giants have one. Houston has one. San Francisco, zero. Cincinnati, zero. I mean, it's it's all over. Carolina has two. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's just not good. There's There's just a lot of bad football being played right now. Yeah, well, the Giants are the poster children of bad offensive football right now. Yeah, well, and the, you know, I mean, the Bengals fired, fired their offensive coordinator already. Um, you know, and it's it's not they're not alone. I mean, you know, I'm hearing you know you hear about the Seahawks. You know, my my friend is a big Seahawks fan, and he's you know bemoaning the Seahawks have one touchdown. Like, if you watched around the league, they're not alone. It, you know, a, a quarter of the league can't, can't score. And, and another quarter isn't really all that much more impressive than that. I mean, it's, it's just been rough so far. Do you think that you will see a, a push back? I think it'll be hard, quite honestly, for teams with established players. You know, I, I think about the Packers. How are you yeah. going to get Aaron Rodgers to play? I don't think you can. Well, no. I mean, and, and there's, a, there's such a fear of injury in the preseason that it has, it's, you know, it's just neutered teams. They're... they're you know, the teams that play their starters, I, again, I go back to the games I saw. The Bears played their starters for the entire first half of week two. They stink. I mean, you know, that's why they did, because they need to figure out who their starters are and who's good to play. They, good teams don't do that because they're terrified of somebody significant getting injured in a meaningless game. And I can't blame them, but it just, it's, it's, uh, it's more every year that we see the Friesen get devalued. And I think we're seeing the, you know, the consequences of that in September football being pretty ugly. Uh, absolutely. Uh, well, we will be back after the Oregon game. We'll talk about everything that happened there, talk about what happened in the major college football games, and then yes. we'll, uh, we'll do this again. Maybe we'll have some content from our listeners. If you guys have questions, just tweet them at us, text them, send it by Carrier Pigeon. We have that kind of time. Um, <laughs> but until next time, he's Matt, I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.